Hello and welcome. I'm Al Barrows, and this is UFO Disclosure, the podcast that's meant to show an average person's reaction to UFO slash UAP news from the internet, books, experiencers, and even our government. Today I'll be talking to Debbie Ziegelmeyer. She is the Missouri MUFON State Director. She is also the Director of Underwater Research and Recovery. Debbie Ziegelmeyer has appeared and has been an expert consultant in several shows and books. She has made countless speaking appearances and is the author of the groundbreaking book, The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways, a reference guide to UFO slash USO water-related activity. Debbie Ziegelmeyer's new book, which she co-authored with the distinguished Margie Kay, is called 50th Anniversary of the SE Missouri Ozarks UFO Flap. Hi, Debbie. Welcome, and thanks so much for being on UFO Disclosure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be on. Thank you. We were talking before about uh, how much I admire you and the work you've done in the past with veterans and children. Thank you so much for that. And thank oh, you so much you. for being an inspiration for women overall, um, especially in the arena of uh, ufology. And you had pointed out to me that uh, there are so many inspirational women involved in MUFON as well. Uh, yes, they are. MUFON, um, half of, I guess there are 10 board members, uh, half of us are female. So um, there are several state directors, assistant state directors, field investigators. Women are very, very involved in MUFON and have um, have been for several years. Uh, so I, I'm, I've been with MUFON since 2000. And a lot of other women have as well, have been you know nearly as long or longer. Well, thanks for leading the way. Um, I'd like to start with... Um, your first book, The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways, such a fascinating book. And as I said before, groundbreaking. Most people are not even aware of um, underwater activity as far as UFOs. Um, can you explain for our listeners what a USO is? Um, that's um, unidentified submerged object. I don't refer to them too much in my book, um, you know, as a USO, because um, the way I believe is they're most of the time they're a UFO that fly, flies through flies through the atmosphere and then ends up in the water. So you're saying that the UFOs that most people are aware of are transmedian, or they go in and out of the water and back up into the air. That's what most people are really aware of. They uh, they see UFOs uh, coming into our atmosphere or hovering over the water, going into the water, coming back out of the water. And I just I always thought that was a little odd that once something enters the water, you know, beneath the water, they descend that they have a different name. It's just kind of confusing to me. Now I understand there are USOs that are traveling around the water, but. Um, I don't know. It just <laughs> it seems it seems to me like you've got you're driving your car and then once you put it in the garage, is it called something else? You know, <laughs> so I just I think it's a little confusing. But that that is the term. And then we also have UAPs, you know, um, unidentified aerial phenomenon, and that's the term that the government uses. So there are a lot of different names. 
but uh, there are objects out there, there are craft out there, there are beings that are flying or remote controlling craft that are not from the planet Earth. You know, I agree with you. There are too many acronyms out there, and it's just causing confusion. UAV, um, UAP, USO. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, just to clarify for my listeners, you actually um, are a team leader. You dive underneath the ocean, and you search for uh, facilities underneath the uh, ocean floor. Um, during your research and recovery expeditions... Have you ever encountered a USO? Underwater, no. Um, I have videotaped, I have witnessed several things uh, above the water, of course, um, hovering over the water, hovering hovering over uh, lakes, hovering over uh, the ocean. But the, the problem with underwater, and that was kind of the reason for the book, it's just so, so deep. We're 70% of our planet is water. Only 5% has been explored, and that's because of the depth, because of the severe um, conditions in a lot of areas. If you have rivers, you've got current. Um, in oceans, you've got depth and pressure. But uh, I have been underwater searching, um, an inch more shallow, but I believe what's hiding is deep, deep below. And the idea of the MUFON dive team is expertise. You have astronomers that are um, experts in the stars, in the planets, in um, deep space, and they haven't been there. And it's the same thing with water. You have divers are experts at conditions and where you you lose color as you go uh, deeper, the pressures, what what's, uh, humans are capable of and what is beyond anything that we know as far as maybe speed or depth. So a lot of what we do on, on the dive team is it's our expertise as to um, what is going on underwater, that type of thing. You know, we're the, ex we're the experts for below the surface. Wow. Thanks for pointing that out. I think the majority of us don't realize that less than 5%, I think you said, of the, our oceans have been unexplored or mapped. Absolutely, yes. And, and as far as mapped, they, there are underwater topographical maps. But as, as far as the depth, you know, the, it's just deep, deep, deep. Um, there's, there's just no way, pressure-wise, we've had people that have gone down very, very deep, but maybe only for an hour or two in experimental craft. But we are very, very limited as to how deep we can go on this planet. Let me ask you this. In your book, you mentioned that uh, the USOs are possibly using hydrogen in the water to replenish their electromagnetic field. Um, can you break that down? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, because that's very interesting to me, and that would account for why they are going into the water. Well, um, I, I thought that, that was my um, kind of my question, too. I thought, well, okay, there, there's craft, they're going underwater. What are they doing? What is the water attraction? And I started to think, well, let's see, we've got plenty of oxygen in the air. I thought, what is it? I thought, oh, H2O, hydrogen. They're going after our hydrogen. So I started doing some research on it, 
And I realized that, or I, I discovered that NASA had been doing this for years, way back the Mer- Mercury projects that NASA uses hydrogen would uh, to replenish their fuel cells and hydrogen, their you know fuel cells that are um, powered by uh, hydrogen are rechargeable, and so I thought, well, they could be going after our hydrogen. Uh, you know, it's plentiful, 70% of the earth. And then um, I thought, too, I was speaking with Carl Feint, who uh, was a, was an expert in water, wrote some great books, passed away a few years ago. And he believed that when um, the reason why craft as they enter our atmosphere, there isn't a sonic boom, and why they travel at a high rate of speed underwater it's because they have an electromagnetic field around them, and that's that field that um, field investigators, that, that UFO investigators come across when, let's just say, if you've seen the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, when uh, Richard Dreyfus is out in his pickup truck, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything starts bouncing back and forth, and his car goes off, and or his, his pickup truck turns off his lights are all flashing it the radio's messing up all of that is caused by electromagnetic fields that are common with these unidentified craft and carl believed that electromagnetic field is what is enables craft to not actually touch the atmosphere and not actually be in contact with the water because they're surrounded by that and then they can control the thickness and the thinness depending on what they need to do of that electromagnetic field. That's why when you take a plane and you crash it into the water, it ter- it breaks up. You take a UFO, crash it into the water, it never hits the water. It's surrounded by an electromagnetic field. So then I started thinking, well, these electromagnetic fields, do they? why are they around the water so much that maybe they're regenerating You know, their field Maybe they're grabbing hydrogen and, um, you know, because they're far away from home. (laughs) I thought it stands to reason why the attraction of the water. And then also it's a great place to hide. Uh, There's bases. We're fairly sure there's some type of either base or they're using wormholes underwater or they're, um, they're using, it could be time travel. It could be dimensional travel. But if you do it up in our atmosphere, uh, somebody's going to see it. If you do this underwater, it's a great place to hide it. Okay, so um, they are using <laughs> the water partially. I know to a lot hide. of information. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I just want to unpack that a little bit uh, for our listeners because um, I'm following you, but some of our uh, listeners might uh, be a little confused. They're hiding underneath the water. That's one possibility. And um, you referred to bases underneath the water. Um, These are alien bases or military bases? Um, Well, I would think alien bases from what I've I've, um, done research. I've done a lot of research on abductees um, that have to do with water. And some of them describe what look like human and alien interaction. Uh, we don't know. From what we've always understood was that anything that we are aware of now that our military has is most likely um, twenty plus twenty plus years behind what we, the public, know. That they're they're so far advanced. Uh, the stealth bombers they were around for a while before the public was ever aware of them. 
uh, that's the whole idea of military and the sec- you know secrecy that uh, they they've got the technology but they don't want it um, released to the public that way they're you know are um, I wouldn't say adversaries but I mean en- enemies but maybe adversaries um, shouldn't know exactly <laughs> what we have and and um, I I don't know I'm I'm not a military person I I. I'm a peaceful person, but I can understand the military is way far ahead. So from what I had, the research I've done, and then that's, you know, let me backtrack a little bit. I, I started to write the book during COVID because I had 20 plus years of information about water sightings. And I thought, what a shame if something, you know, if, you know, God forbid, you know, that I passed away during COVID. And I thought, I need to really get this into some type of a book. And about a month into it, I realized that there was way more. Once I started putting all the pieces of this puzzle together, it just—it actually scared me a little bit. It was going to be a book about underwater UFOs, and that's why I changed the name to The Alien Colonization of Earth Waterways because there were there's so much evidence of places where there are um, non-human beings that are underwater that they're there, they've been there for a long time, Can that we... they're traveling in and out of the same places, which would suggest there's some type of a base underwater at depth. And so I took it from there and it turned in, it went from a little book about underwater aliens to um, a reference book about water. And what I tried to explain too in the book is I explained that uh, the depth, I talk about where we know that um, our submarine bases are, you know, you have to know what you have before you can speculate what came from another planet. So if we know that we have a submarine base in that area and there's movement underwater and there's, you know, a lot of activity, we know that's ours. And you have to know what we have first as humans before you start, you know, it's process of elimination. Right. And then also to the depth, you know, how it, I, I looked into how deep some of these trenches are and the, the deep areas of the ocean and the activity that's coming in and out. And I thought, well, that would explain it. We have deep trenches around there. So, it, it, yes, the possibility of there being underwater alien bases is um, a, it's a very, very, very good possibility. Um, especially with the you know, the evidence that I found. What are the uh, deep water trenches that you looked at? Maybe one or two you might be able to mention. Oh, what are the deep water? I know that just by there's very very deep trenches um, in and around the Puerto Rico area. I spoke with Jorge Martin, who is um, the the lead investigator for UFOs in the Puerto Rico area. And he he was showing me pictures that he took from NOAA um, about, you know, the basically Google Earth pictures of things that um, are anomalies that shouldn't be in and around the island of Puerto Rico. Hmm. He's um, also he um, referred me to his website and um, he was telling me that well, right around the Ponce area, which if you've got. Um, you look at Puerto Rico, and then you go all the way south, and then basically the the coastline right in the middle on the south is where Ponce is. Um, on his website, he's got a picture of what looks like a wormhole opening up in the sky wow. and a craft coming out of it, you know, some kind of anomaly that somebody has sent him. But also some odd underwater 
um, underwater anomalies of some type that, that aren't supposed to be there that he's done research on. Um, so, I mean, that that's just one of them. We know that area. We know that off the coast of California, there's very, very deep ocean. The, the Pacific Ocean is very, very deep. There's so many sightings in around the Catalina Island area that there's been um, a documentary. There's been a couple books written about the sightings uh, that just go on just in and around Puerto Rico. So, I mean, I'm sorry, Puerto Rico, but Cat- well, Puerto Rico especially too, but Catalina. Right. Um, the Caribbean, we know that there's something very, very deep, 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 deep in the ocean. And if you've ever taken a cruise, you understand that when you get in close to the islands, the water's fairly shallow. There's beautiful coral, especially divers and all that. But you know when you get out in the deep, deep ocean and you've got the cruise ship, especially look at Bermuda Triangle. The water is just so deep out there. There's rogue waves that have been taking out boats, um, ships for for years. That's you know, hence the name, the Bermuda Triangle. That there's something going on there, deep, deep, deep in the water, and you know, a lot of it could be rogue waves. So we know that's also another very, very active area. I mean, I actually had a sighting off of a cruise ship back in 2006, and in my book, there's a picture of it. Wow. So, I mean, there we know that – well, it, it was uh, January 25th of 2006, and I was on a Royal Caribbean cruise, um, the ship, the Explorer of the Seas, and we had at 6 o'clock just left St. Martin. Well, I went diving in St. Martin, so I didn't get to see the, um, the, the island at all. And we were headed to St. Thomas, and I took pictures as we left the shoreline, and then about 20 minutes after 6 p.m., uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go to the front of the ship and I'm going to meet with the rest of the, the group that I had come with. And I looked off to the right-hand side of the ship heading you know, toward the bow, and there were what looked like two saucer-shaped craft in the distance kind of just hovering over the water, uh, pivoting back and forth and doing small circles. And I immediately turned around and looked behind me. I thought, well, it's a reflection off of the ship. This was only my second of nine cruises. And then when I looked back again at them, the ship was leaving them behind. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I ran and got one very good picture. But it it was, you know, odd. Nobody, you know, nobody else saw it because everybody was trying to get inside the ship and change for dinner. We had just come from shore. So everybody was in showering. I was out there naturally because I hadn't seen St. Martin. Uh, I asked everybody I could on the ship. They wouldn't let me speak with the captain. But... Um, from what I was told, it was nothing that they knew anything about. It wasn't – they didn't – I said, do you send remote control things out there for the tourists? And they said, no, no, it's against maritime law. Never came to a conclusion of what they were except that my cameras my, – my, the camera that I had reset from January 25th, every picture after that started with February 5th wow. and then moved on. Um, so it, it re- and then the, my uh, it was also my um, the cu- the clock on my camera was off several hours. So I would say in that area there are a lot of sightings, and in particular, you know, I caught something. Well, <clears throat> let me ask you uh, two more questions before we move on to the um, fifth anniversary of the Missouri Ozarks UFO flight. Uh-huh. Um, why do you think? Um, ETs 
Are they visiting or are they longtime residents? And why are they colonizing Earth's waterways if they are, in your opinion? Well, we know that there that hydrogen is plentiful. Uh, from and you know, and I it, it all has to just be speculation, but uh, it, let's just say I I have heard that they are um, that several species of aliens witnesses I mean abductees have reported that they're uh, vegetarian, so we know that we have plankton, seaweed, that type of thing. It's a good place. The water's deep, a good place to hide. Um, a good um, so. I would think that would be three very good reasons. You can travel in and out. They may have a city under there. Uh, also, too, I have uh, research, you know, that shows that there were several people that they describe as um, even Kathleen Martin said that she kind of out loud made mention that she said, I think I was underwater. You know, this was in regression hypnotism. Um, right. And I believe a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot, but there are the ones in and around the coast, uh, abductees, it's a good place for research. They're taking them on, they can take them underwater. Hmm. So uh, there, it's a, you know, when you've got 70% of the earth too, um, that's water, it's uh, probably the most logical place to go underwater and hide. If you can travel, you know, across galaxies and make it here most certainly you can go underwater and, and you know instead of dealing with um the you know the the what we can do with pressure if you can deal with oh gosh what would it be in well in space it's the opposite uh so it, in space if you don't have you have to worry about pressure when you're in the water in space you kind of blow up outward uh because of you know there's no atmosphere lack of pressure yeah Right, right. So, so I, all the above, I guess, will be a great, great place to maneuver around and not be seen. And they've been doing it for years and years and, you know, centuries. I went back and found passages in the Bible that's, that suggest that um, there was an alien presence on the earth way back then. So judging from that reference, I would think you're leaning towards the fact that they've colonize or have been here for years and years well yes because um back in the um, 1980s there were uh, there there's reports uh that of, of a 10 foot tall uh beings being seen swimming underwater in and around russia lake bacal uh the baltic sea uh there so they've found a skeleton uh, in in a cave, so there are ten foot tall aliens that are able to swim around underwater. The first ones were a group of divers that saw them at 165 feet, but they've also been seen by um, uh, submarines. A marine, uh, I guess it would be a research submarine that had windows, and they've seen them travel. There's they've been seen by fishermen, so we know in and around Russia that there are large beings that are living apparently underwater have been there for quite a while. And if you look in Webster's dictionary, once you you're considered a residence, once you've set up housekeeping for at least two weeks, you're basically a resident and they've been around here a lot longer than that. Hmm. Okay. So folks, that was the alien colonization of earth's waterways, a reference guide to UFO slash USO water related activity a must-read, fascinating book. You just got a taste of it. It's much more than that. So 
Your next book that you did with uh, Margie Kay was the 50th anniversary of the SC Missouri Ozarks UFO flap, Piedmont, Clearwater Lake, Farmington, and Wayne County. And as we all know, Missouri is known as the show me state. Um, but it has had a little known but very active UFO history. And you and Margie Kay documented that very well in your book. And it all began back in 1973, right? I mean, I'm counting 50 years back. Right. In the SE, that's southeast Missouri, um, okay. where actually I, I live in southeast Missouri as well. This is going back. Uh, we just had the 50th anniversary festival in Piedmont, and it was just the most fun. Uh, they had some of the people that were involved in this 1973 incident were, were there um, and still live there, in fact. Wow. But uh, this all started, it, it really started in the late 1960s, but the big sighting um, that brought the researchers was February 21st of 1973, and there was, there was a basketball game, a playoff game in Essex, Missouri, and Coach Reggie Bone had taken five of his students with him um, in, um, basically, it, I mean, it was the... Uh, from what I talked to him, everybody said it was a bus, but it was actually the driver's training car, and he had taken that uh, to the ball game. And there were a couple buses of children behind him, too. You know, it was a playoff game, so naturally there's going to be cheerleaders and there's going to be other students that want to watch the game. But uh, they uh, were coming back from the game and came around a corner and saw a light. And as they got closer toward Piedmont, Piedmont they came around another corner and you have to understand out there that you know there's woods i mean it's thick woods and there's no shoulder at all on these side roads they came across this one and one of the students yelled coach you know bone look and there was this craft that was hovering over a field they watched that for a little bit a couple of the students got out and actually you know, went underneath it now i've interviewed someone who was in one of the buses behind and said that they came up after coach bone and that they also, that about a dozen kids got out of the bus and had seen this. This was around the Mill Springs area. When they went on into Piedmont, people were outside looking and had seen some type of a craft, including Edith, Edith Boatwright, who saw it out of her window. All, the lights attracted her. She thought it was an accident. But uh, that just was the beginning of it. This started researchers coming from all over the United States to try and find out what was going on. The research uh, particularly was from Professor Harley Rutledge from Southeast Missouri State University from Cape Girardeau. And uh, he started with a two-week grant and ended up getting additional money and staying all the way until 1980. And there are still sightings going on today. We what? still get reports. What is project identification? That was uh, what uh, Professor Harley Rutledge, um, that was the, I guess, the name of his investigation. And he started that on, let's see, it was uh, March 27th of 1973. He, he also wrote a book of the same name. But his idea was to take scientific equipment and go out down there and find out what was going on. Because what you had were the residents were going to the highest point in the area, which was the town dump. And they, they would go up there, Skywatch. Well, he wanted to do something a little bit more scientific, and so he came out with a couple other professors and um, a couple students, and they decided they were going to set up 
um, EMF meters, telescopes, um, night vision cameras, just, you know, every type of equipment that they could possibly imagine that would be documenting, that could document something, an anomaly. Hmm. Uh, they, they, and they set up, uh, he was set up at uh, Farmington Airport. Uh, they've also, they set up at, um, oh gosh, there was a, uh, let's see, the Brushy Creek area. So they, they set up in three different places, but it started out with him in um, at Farmington Airport. Uh, and, and just right off, they got a light, a strange, you know, the moment they got the camera set up that first night, they had, they documented something that was um, unidentified. And from there, I mean, there's there were just so many sightings in the area. They had the local power company was even contacted to find out if some of the power outages in association with these craft were at their end. And the power company said, no, we've had a couple power outages, but they were during the day, you know, something that had to do with their equipment. They said there's nothing at our end that's causing power outages for, for in the areas where these craft are being seen. Yeah. Well, and exactly a month later on March 21st, of 1973, Gene Coleman and Kathy Leach were at the dump, and they were coming across Clearwater Lake going home because uh, Gene Coleman had, had a couple small daughters. It was getting late, and they saw a craft hovering right over Clearwater Lake. And they said the lights would go on bright, and then when they'd shut off, and then when they'd come on again, they were these red lights that they would be in a different area of the lake. Uh they decided that they, uh, I think uh, Jean stayed in with the windows rolled down with her daughters and, and Kathy Leach got out and looked at them. They went back to the dump and uh, Jean Coleman's brother was there and she said, did you see that? And they said, well, we saw this strange light that was heading, that went over our heads and was heading in your direction. And she said, you all saw it. And he goes, look above us. And there was a big amber light above them at that point. Hmm. So they, um, very, very interesting. Uh, some of the things that's happened in that area, starting back really, I guess, uh, the beginning of the what we call the UFO flap in that in southeast Missouri, uh, started in 1973, early 73. Well, thanks for the recap. Uh, those were the three main sightings, just for my listeners, Reggie Bone, um, basketball team coach and his five teammates. Uh, actually ah. were underneath a craft, and you described uh -huh. that very well. Edith Boatwright, uh, same and, day and she saw the yes, and well, and it, it got it gets even even more interesting than that because on October third of nineteen seventy three, they uh, there was a a um, over the road truck driver and um, Eddie Doyle Webb. And at 6.30 in the morning, he and his wife, Velma May, were coming back from a, from a run. Um, you know, they had a, you know, an 18-wheeler, you know, with, with the cab on the, you know, with the, the, the trailer on the back. And they were headed back to Cape Girardeau, which is straight down uh, 55 south. Cape Girardeau, oh, I guess is about maybe 100 and, let's see, straight down 55. It's 90 miles from my house, like probably about 120 miles, I guess, south of St. Louis, straight down Highway 55. Well, they were about eight miles out from the town, up, up from the city, and he looked in his rearview mirror heading south, and he saw some kind of a bright light, well, at 6.30 in the morning. And he, he looked out his window to see what it was, and he saw what looked like a top, 
you know, like one of those kids top or maybe an acorn shape. Yeah. And then it flashed real bright at him and blinded him. He was wearing glasses at the time. His glasses melted to his face. He couldn't see. What? He got the 18-wheeler pulled over to the side of the road and hollered for his wife, Velma May. She was in the, the back of the cab sleeping, and she got out and drove the truck the rest of the way into Cape Girardeau. They took him to the hospital. He eventually got his sight back. As they were going along, his sight was coming back, but his face was burnt. His glasses were melted. It made all the, the newspapers in the area he ended up losing 15% of his peripheral vision. Okay. Well, the, the MUFON section director at the time was also an attorney, and he advised him to file a workman comp claim because he was injured on the job, and you know he won it. And as far as we know, the only person who has won a workman comp injury claim from a UFO injury was Eddie, Eddie um, Doyle Webb here in Missouri from an incident that happened October 3rd of 1973. You also, um, there's a section in Chapter 7 about UFOs and little people visiting a family for four generations. Can you uh -huh. talk a little bit about that? Um, well, that's actually Margie's investigation. She would more know more about that than I would. You should probably have Margie Kay on your show and talk about about that. Um, I don't mind trying to explain some of that, but but um, I I I just don't feel comfortable about talking um, about somebody else's investigation with they do all the work and then oh, I, I almost. But but what to the uh, the gist of it is. We've had folklore for years. You go to Ireland and there's the leprechauns. And then uh, uh, we've all heard of fairies. Um, we've all heard of, um, oh my gosh, I mean, sightings of, of little people. They're in folklore years back. And that makes you start to wonder if this, you know, they were more than what they thought they were, uh, like leprechauns, the funny little leprechauns. They were most likely, you know, could, could have been um, an alien race. I mean, it's the same way with, with um, oh my gosh, you know, with, with sightings back in biblical time, you know, where, where they're describing things that, oh, there was a ball of fire in the sky and um, a light came down and, and uh, took this person and they went up into the heavens into the light. Well, somebody was being abducted. You know, back in biblical times. So what um, Margie was doing research on that, and, and she did have a family that um, had seen these little people and interacted with them. Hmm. Just for our listeners, uh, again, Margie Kay is the distinguished yes. co-author of the book we're talking about now, 50th yes. Anniversary of the Southeast Missouri Ozarks UFO Flat. Yes, um, I, I'm the state director, the MUFON state director. Margie Kay is the MUFON assistant state director. And she lives in the Kansas City area. I live in the St. Louis area, so we're about four hours apart from each other. Oh, I didn't realize you were so far apart from each other. And in fact, Margie Kay will be here in the St. Louis area uh, speaking at my meeting on Wednesday. She's driving out. Um, I have a monthly meeting, uh, MUFON meeting, at CJ Muggs in Webster Groves. It's on our website but Margie Kay is going to be coming out um, 
just in a couple of days and speak to our group about about what you're talking about and about winged creatures. Hmm. Yeah, she's also an awesome uh, female leader in the area of ufology. Um, lastly, why do you think that Brushy Creek or the Piedmont uh, area in Missouri is attracting ETs? That's a really good question. We've wondered that. We thought, okay, well, the lake, um, there, there is a lake there that I remember as a kid back in the 70s. There, uh, we were, we were always, that was the place where you would go skiing. Um, you'd go swimming, boating, that type of thing. And there were sightings. There were stories about craft hovering over and coming in and out of the water. Now, we also know Missouri is also the cave state. So I think a lot of it might have to do with that. We have lead. We also have a lot of earthquakes. So we're in we're dead center in the middle of the United States, Hartville, Missouri, that has had a lot of sightings in that area. And they've also had a lot of uh, cattle mutilations in that area. Hartville, Missouri is the population center, according to the latest census. So we're dead center in the middle of the United States. And we've been trying to figure that out for years. What is it that we have is unique, that is unique? Well, we have Scott Air Force Base in Illinois just on the other side of me, about 35 miles from me. Um, in Missouri, we have a Whiteman Air Force Base. But these things have been going on long, long before either one of those bases or anywhere around here. Um, it may or, Some of the things we see may or may not be from those bases but definitely things in the 70s, Whiteman Air Force Base was not here back, you know, uh, came in uh, late 90s in um, full service, more like 2000 or so. Uh, and that Whiteman Air Force Base is the home of uh, the B-2 bomber. So I, I believe it has to do with the caves. You've not only got water where you can hide because we've got a lot of reservoirs. But you've also got caves. We have Merrimack Caverns here in Missouri, Onondaga Cave. There are even there's a lot of um, caves open to the public for tours in this area. So yeah, uh, and then earthquakes. We've got the New Madrid Fault. <laughs> so I don't know. Whatever it is, uh, we're the show me state, yeah. and um, for whatever reason, I guess they want us to show us more, show show them more and more because. We sure are a place of attraction. Wow. Yeah. Um, just for my listeners, Missouri has a lot of activity, and they're really keeping uh, Margie Kay and Debbie Ziegelmeyer busy as uh, MUFON uh, leaders there. Um, we've been discussing the alien colonization of Earth's waterways, a reference guide to UFO, USO water-related activity, and we've recently been discussing the 50th anniversary of the Southeast Missouri Ozarks UFO flap. Um at the end of the 50th anniversary of the SE Missouri Ozarks flap book, there is a section where uh, you explain step by step what to do if you see a UFO um, or USO and how to file a report. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. And one of the most important things is if, if you see something and you're going to take a, a picture of it on your, with your cell phone, uh, go with video. Try and take video and make sure don't zoom in. When you zoom in, it distorts. Make sure that when you take a video of an object that you're not sure what it is, that you get at least at the bottom of, of the screen, get trees or a rooftop or something, because that way we can 
um, it, it's easier to investigate than just um, a blank screen with this dot in the middle. So we're able to tell distance. We're able. Uh, we have some experts that may be able to even tell, um, give a proximity or an, uh, of um, altitude or distance. But we have to have ground structure. Now, and don't zoom in. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of counterintuitive. I think most of us would zoom in. Um, does that go for pictures and videos? Yes, and if you want to zoom in, zoom in so you can try and see it and then zoom back out and get us uh, a picture or a video, either one, to make sure that you've got your surrounding area. Because I know I, I did, you know, I'll do that. I'll see something go, oh, what is that? And I'm taking my camera and zooming in to look at it. But you got to make sure and zoom out, too, so you have a full picture of the area. Right. Okay. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Can um, the listeners um, obtain your books on Amazon? And uh, do you have anything else going on that you might want to tell our uh, listeners about? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, in the Cincinnati, in, in, in the Cincinnati area, we have the MUFON Symposium coming up. And so if you're interested more um, to, about UFOs and uh, you're out this way, August 24th through 27th of this year in Cincinnati. And you can look at that, look that up on um, MUFON.com. There's a big conference, um, a lot of information um, it's a it's a great place to be. The more conferences and the more that type of thing that you could get to, the more knowledge. That that's how I got started, was going to conferences, and I thought, oh, I need to check into this further. And here I am, this many years later, <laughs> twenty three years with Mufons. Wow. Um, and then also, if you're in the St. Louis area, there's uh, you can look on MissouriMufon.org. But we have a a monthly meeting, third Wednesday monthly at CJ Muggs in Webster Groves, six six thirty to eight thirty. That's awesome. Um, folks, uh, don't forget to pick up uh, Debbie Ziegelmeyer's book, The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways. It's a fascinating read, believe me. She also co-authored a book with Margie Kay, The 50th Anniversary of the Southeast Missouri Ozarks UFO Flap. Believe me, folks, you'll be astonished at how much activity is going on in Missouri, and most people don't know about it. There's also a very handy reference guide at the end of the uh, last book I just mentioned on what to do if you see a UFO and how to file a report. Debbie, it's been great uh, speaking with you. It's been my honor, and I truly admire your work. Um, thank you so much, and maybe you can put in a good word for me with Margie Kay. In the future, I might be able to speak with her. And oh, absolutely! I'm sure she'd love she'd love to have you on on her show. She's she's uh got on X Radio, and um she would love to be on yours. And thank you so very very much for having me. I'm I'm honored that you that you'd like to listen to me. Um, I, I've been doing this a lot of years, and and um I the, the information needs to get out. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you so much. Keep doing the good work that you're doing, and ultimately we'll find out what's really going on out there. Absolutely. This is Al Barrows signing off. Thank you for listening to my podcast, UFO Disclosure. Please remember to click on the follow button and keep searching for the truth. All the blessings and luck go out to all.